Do you dread tax time because you haven't saved enough for taxes? Are you totally confused and lost about your business finances? Do you worry that you'll never be able to retire or save for your kid's college education? If you bury your head in the sand because you think you'll never be a money person, I want to let you in on a huge secret. All you need to manage your private practice finances are a simple series of skills that you can learn. After all, you already did the hard work of graduating from college, becoming a therapist, and starting your private practice. Hi, I'm Lindsay Bonham. I'm a therapist turned money coach and the creator of Money Skills for Therapists. I've helped hundreds of therapists just like you develop peace of mind about their money. I invite you to watch my free masterclass where I teach my four-step framework to get your business finances totally in order. In the masterclass, I cover the three biggest mistakes that therapists make that keep them from getting clarity on their private practice finances, the secret that most accountants don't want you to know, and why working with your mindset and emotions is essential to changing your patterns with money. This masterclass is for therapists and health practitioners who are running or about to start a private practice. It is the first step in learning about my signature course, Money Skills for Therapists. Register today with the link in the show notes to take the first step to go from money confusion, anxiety, and shame to feeling clear and empowered about your money. I look forward to supporting you. I'm going to tell them during the consultation calls or whatever, like my fee is one fifty. I'll leave it at that. Welcome to the Money Skills for Therapists podcast, where we answer this question. How can therapists and health practitioners go from money shame and confusion to feeling calm and confident about their finances and get money really working for them in both their private practice and their lives? I'm your host, Lindsay Bonham, therapist turned money coach and creator of the course Money Skills for Therapists. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. So today on the podcast, we have a coaching episode uh, with Brittany. Brittany uh, is a student of Money Skills. She's about halfway through the course lessons, and she is the owner and therapist behind Reflect to Grow Counseling. She loves to help her clients organize their thoughts, develop strategies to accomplish their goals, and she's currently taking a post-grad class for fertility counseling with the intention of specializing in that field. And we do get into that in this episode. She has lots of experience working with people struggling with anxiety, LGBTQIA+, exploration, and perfectionism. And today... In our conversation, Brittany and I got into a topic that I think so many therapists can relate to, which is feeling guilt at her fee. So Brittany and I talk about how she feels guilt charging her full fee, uh, which is she's aiming to charge a fee of 150 and all the obstacles that come up to that. And Brittany has identified that she needs to have at least half of her caseload on out of pocket at 150. She's able to keep the other half at insurance and sliding scale. Uh, which is important to her, but is finding it's very difficult to actually command that fee and and set that fee with people. And so we get today into some of the the money stories underneath that, uh, some pieces about you know valuing our work. And yeah, if you're a therapist who struggles to charge your fee or has struggled, there's lots in this episode today. We kind of take a few different paths over the course of the episode as the conversation unfolds and we end up in a a nice practical place. Here's my coaching episode with Brittany. So Brittany, welcome to the podcast. 
Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So you, Brittany, you've worked kind of through like halfway of money skills at this point. Is that just to give folks a sense of where you're at? Yes, I'm still uh, working my way through. Yes. Okay. So you've got some, like you've done some kind of mindset work already a little bit with the course, um, but you're still building out systems and stuff like that. Yes, exactly. Okay. Okay. So for our time together today, Brittany, what did you want to get support on? I would like to talk some more about the idea of charging full private pay fees mm-hmm. and the innate guilt that I feel around that. Yeah. Um, and I know that's a big topic in private practice industry these sure. days. I see it a lot, Oh yes, but it yes. doesn't do anything. To, <laughs> but at the same time, I still feel immense guilt. So I kind of wanted to kind of explore that with you a little bit and see ways to overcome it. Okay. Okay. So to give me and the folks listening a sense, like what, what is your full fee that you're trying to charge? 150 for okay. 45 minute sessions. Okay, 150 for 45 minutes. Okay. And where are you at in terms of what m- most folks are paying? So I take insurance. Yeah. So it's a majority of my caseload is insurance based. Okay. And then I do have a few who are sliding scale mm-hmm. for different reasons. Yep. And I have very few, like the vast major- minority of my caseload is full fee. Okay. Yeah. And with this, like, I'm curious about your vision and where you want to go. What do you want your kind of composition of your caseload to eventually look like when it comes to this stuff? Uh, I would love to have over half my caseload be private pay full fee. Okay. And then the other less than half be insurance-based plus sliding scale. Okay. Okay. So you're aiming for half private pay mm-hmm. at that 150 and then the other half will still be insurance sliding scale. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was doing the math and I would be in a, in a much better place if that was the situation. Right. Okay. 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 <laughs> great. And I love to hear the phrase. I was doing the math. That's good. So <laughs> it means you have a grounding, right? Like you understand what these numbers will actually mean for you. And this is the right. target you're setting for yourself, which is great. Right. Okay. So tell me then about the guilt at the thought of charging your full fee. What is that like? Okay, so I come from a more, let's say, modest uh, financial background mm-hmm. uh, growing up. I was very fortunate in the sense that therapy was always encouraged mm-hmm. in my household mm-hmm. and was just seen as a reality. It, so in that sense, very, very fortunate. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, it was always insurance. Like the idea of paying a mental health professional, their full price is for the rich Mm. and for um, people with disposable income. Mm -hmm. And all of that kind of stuff was like, it was never even a notion for things I've heard about therapy kind of growing up and even in like early adulthood. Okay. So that's kind of where I come from with all of it, where it's like insurance covers mental health for a reason Yes. and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I mean, first of all, it's nice to hear that you grew up in a pro-therapy environment. That's cool. But the idea is like, yeah, therapy is is should be covered by insurance. And let's dig a little bit more into those stories about paying full fee for insurance. You said it's for the rich. Tell me more about it. 
which I don't believe currently, but that was kind of like the message. Okay, okay. But this is the story. Yeah, yes. that was kind okay. of the message I would get because, you know, you would watch TV and it would be like the rich the rich person paying for the fancy schmancy psychiatrist in the office kind of thing. And yeah. people I knew who would go to therapists, it would always be at, through a nonprofit, through a mm. clinic, through yes. something like that. Mm-hmm. I really didn't become familiar with uh, private pay therapists till... I got into private practice myself. Right. right. Okay. Okay. Yes. So you, you said there that this isn't quite what you believe now. Like you don't believe right. now that therapy is for like that mm-hmm. private pay is for the rich. Absolutely. What do you believe now about private pay therapy? I believe that it's an investment. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I'm hearing you have some positive beliefs about what private pay therapy can do. An investment means that there's like value there, right? There's something that comes out of it. So tell me then when you are going to thinking about moving to this space of charging full fee to half of your caseload, what comes up? Because then, so it's one of those things where looking at a big picture, just looking at the numbers, it sounds beautiful and it sounds perfect. And yes, it's an investment and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But then you look at the individual stories, mm-hmm. and that's where I I get stuck. Yes, because people are struggling out there. It's a hard world out there. Yes, yeah. And even when I've had discussions with some sliding scale folks, it it's been difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. It's like some of my sliding scale folks are people whose insurance I did take initially. Mm-hmm. And then the insurance got changed for whatever reason. And mm-hmm. then I didn't like, there's so many different stories mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. So I get stuck with the individual. I even find even for when someone does have to go private pay, I'll mm-hmm. find myself volunteering yes. sliding scale. <laughs> yes. I'll be like, but wait, you don't have to pay the full 150. Like, hold yeah. up. Because I feel terrible myself being yes. like, okay, let's go from a $10 co-pay to now 150. Right. So you're not even giving them the chance yes. to express how they feel or to react or to even agree. You're jumping in there and saying, but obviously you can't afford that. That's the message, right? Like, But obviously that's insane. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, 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 right. Okay. Okay. And I am curious, like, for the folks that you're working for who are paying full fee, and I know it's a very small number, what is that like for you and for them to be paying full fee? What do you notice? Yeah, so actually, initially, for them to, I've started doing a new system where my sliding scale fee is temporary and it, qua- and it lasts three months. And then every yes. three months, we reassess. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So I've noticed that typically everyone starts out with sliding scale because it just, my system I, it's my own it's a me thing yes I've noticed even when starting off with sliding scale like the clients who do pay full fee were okay with paying full fee right like yeah, yeah that's your fee yeah and I even had one person say like it's worth it yes to me. yes and I was like oh <laughs> like that took me aback <laughs> right right and can you Can you take that in, like hearing one of your clients, like not a hypothetical person, but like someone you really work with saying to you, it's worth it. It's my initial response that even is like, that's not true. That can't be. It's just me talking, Mm -hmm. which I think is a problem. Okay. 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 Right. So what is your perception then of the value of your work? I have a very difficult time believing that sessions with me are worth over a hundred dollars. Even though 
they're like most of my clients are long-term clients. I haven't had openings in my caseload for months at this point. And even then I still have people emailing me asking for openings. So like I have proof that people come back for yeah. one reason or another. Yeah. But I still have a very difficult time believing that like I'm doing something good here and that I'm doing something valuable here. Mm. And that's a me thing and I recognize that and but all the same, it still affects my business. Yeah. Well, of course, it's a you thing. That's why we're here, right? <laughs> we're working on like these deep <laughs> stories that, because this is really shaping how your practice looks and in turn, it's shaping how your financial life looks. You know, you're telling me if you can get to the point where half your caseload is at full fee, and, and we're not even talking about like your whole caseload, and we're not talking about a premium fee or all of these kind of other things, you know, we're talking about half your caseload being full fee would dramatically change your financial picture, mm-hmm. right? But what's in the way here is, by the sounds of it, you really owning the value of what you do. Absolutely. And I'm also at a point too where I'm, I hope and plan to hire a therapist to mm-hmm. work under me, mm-hmm. but I really need to work through my own stuff first before I could be a leader for others. Yes. Yeah. If you want to be able to model to somebody uh, owning the value of their work and it's very wise. I'm I'm glad to hear you say that you want to do this work before you start mentoring, you know, somebody else in such a close way. So with this, then I'm curious and, and, you know, we're, we're going to be really vague here because we don't want to get into anything that could be identifying obviously. Yes. <laughs> but I'm curious, like, can you think about a moment where you really felt the impact of the work that you were doing with someone? Like one of those like magical sessions. Can you think of any of those like magical sessions where you're just like, sometimes I know from for me when I was practicing therapy, there would sometimes be an eye outside of myself being like, whoa, this is like profound. <laughs> this yeah. other part that's watching the work. Do you have any kind of memories like that that you can connect with? It's very hard to think of in like on the spot. Yeah. But I get those moments a lot okay. where I'll just be like, where the hell did that come from? Right. Kind of moments. Yes. <laughs> and when you say where the hell did that come from, do you mean something that you've done or said? Yes. Or something that's happening something that you? I said that I would never say to myself with my own problem. Right, of course. It just like magically came out of my mouth. You're like, oh, she's good. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so those moments then, like if we can connect to one of them, for you, like what is the emotion that goes with those moments that, that I'm hearing happen often? it feels like elation. Mm -hmm. Like I'm so proud of myself in that moment of like, Oh my God, I did choose the right career path and I am doing what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Okay. But it doesn't last long the feeling, but like it's there temporarily. Yeah. Yeah. So that elation, and if we can just stay with that elation for a minute, you know, like what's happening in your body when you are elated. It's like the opposite of the dread you feel in the stomach. It's like, instead of like the heavy feeling in the stomach, it's like the lightness in the stomach. I Mm -hmm. don't know if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it's kind of just like an absolute, just like lightness that just feels, feels wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I never realized that before. Thank you for asking me those questions. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, with that lightness, you know, that elation that like, whoa, I'm like, I'm in the right place. I'm doing the right work from that place. Brittany, how much would you say a session with you is worth? I guess at least a hundred. Okay, you dropped right away. Your energy just <laughs> totally changed. What just happened? I don't know. It. I think it. A lot of it, I think, has to do with the whole notion of like helping people and like 
the whole notion of like I heard recently from I don't know where the concept of like pink collar I mean, instead of oh. blue collar work pink collar of like oh, women are okay yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, there are so many new terms coming out that's so hard to oh, keep sure. up with yeah um, but that's when I heard words like teaching and helping professions and counseling was like, well, we should be helping mm-hmm. if we have that demeanor and mm-hmm. especially for females and whatnot. And I'm always stuck with like, well, of course I should be helping people if I have that skill. But then it's like, but why shouldn't I be able to make a good living off of it and like own a house one day kind of living yeah. off of it? Right. Okay. Yeah. And that's a good question. Why shouldn't you be able to make a good living and buy a house one day off of this? I would dare to say this gift that you have on top of all the training that you do, right? Because I will say like the work that we do, Brittany, it's like, there's lots of training that goes into it. We spend lots of money to get here. You know, there's all those literal oh investments that we've also made. But I will say, I do think that the best therapists have a natural gift that others couldn't learn, right? It's like, if you have that that attunement and that natural empathy and just that like immense intuition. I think most people come into the work because they have that. And it's not something that somebody else could learn in school. Right. No, I mean, it's true. Yeah. You know, so, so thinking about all of that together, like why shouldn't you be able to make a good living off of the work you do? I guess there is no reason ultimately. Well, is there a reason inside there? There's some sort of objection here internally. And I know logically it might not make sense, but I'm wondering like, what is maybe the illogical objection inside Mm -hmm. that makes it hard to even say that you should be getting paid a hundred dollars for this like life-changing work? Because then I keep thinking, I don't know, like the the economy is so rough out there. Mm -hmm. The world is freaking hard out there. And so then I keep thinking of like, well, what about people who can't afford it? But then again, like I do have offer sliding scale for people who can't afford it. I'm not taking that away completely. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about for people who can afford it. And there are people who could afford it. Yeah. And, you know, something that I think about too, Brittany, and I've, I've noticed in some clinicians, there's like less flexibility around this than I certainly used to have when I was practicing is you can set your price and your clients can determine what they can afford, which could also look like a weekly client goes down to biweekly, right? Or like... I remember I had this client who did not make very much money. They worked, you know, like as a kind of educational assistant role. And that's an underpaid role, pink collar. If we want to talk about pink collar, that's another one. And they had been doing therapy for a long time, but knew that they needed like EMDR processing. And I I believe my fee at that time would have been 150. Same fee you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And so they would come once a month for therapy. That's what was in their budget. But when they came that once a month, they worked so freaking hard and they came ready being like, okay, this is what I noticed in the month. This is what I want to work on. I want to keep doing this work that we did, or I want to pick up on this new thing that came up, or I need to talk about this experience that's happening. And they worked so hard and used that time like with such intention and empowerment that in some ways it was like in that one session, we would get done what someone else might get done in a whole month because they really owned the work. I wasn't holding the responsibility for the work. They were responsible for the work and like they knew my skill set and what there was to do, but it was like this real like shared ownership of I was bringing my best to the table, but they were also bringing their best to the table, right? In this shared project that we had of like healing from trauma. And I'm curious like how does that kind of idea sit with you that your clients can also like step up and take responsibility and solve problems? when you set your boundary around what you're able to 
we're able to charge. And, and I'm saying in your case, what you're able to, because I know that you're talking about just getting to like reasonable standard of living, mm-hmm. right? Like we're not talking at this point, and that could be a whole other conversation. We're not talking about like luxury and travel and expansiveness or any of those kinds of things. Like we're talking about being able to buy a house one day. Yeah. Right. So if that's a boundary for you, I'm curious, what do you think about the idea that your clients could rise to meet that boundary? Yeah, that does make sense. I think it's going to be one of those things where it's going to be really difficult in the moment. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be easier to try with new clients in the future that I get to kind of just start like off the board. Like the, the, this is the. Yeah. Like, like starting this the right the, foot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. With current clients, I really just don't feel so comfortable with most of them doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, like, I'm not so sure that that's a bad thing. Like, right now, I'm at the lowest. The amount of sliding scale clients I have right now is the lowest it's been since I started my private practice. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I foresee that going further down, depending on whether insurance situations change and whatnot. So my thought process as of now is kind of having my sliding scale list closed mm-hmm. right like no more no more spots like no more sliding scale yeah which is true because like i literally don't have any more spots left in my sliding scale list yeah and then just insurance clients i get it i have a lot of struggles with insurance clients who then change to an insurance i don't take mm-hmm. but that's a different thing to kind of be even in that situation like this is my new fee and i could help you find a therapist who does take your new insurance if that's an issue yes which which will it's so hard to do. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And what what is hard about that? Because they're my clients. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I yeah. feel like I work with people long term mm-hmm. and I feel like I know them as well as one could know another person sure. for the most part. And I enjoy yeah. I genuinely enjoy working with my people. Mm-hmm. So that's always hard when it's like, well, let's talk about maybe you switching to a different therapist. But I think I'm going to try that in the future for those kinds of for those kinds of situations. Yeah. You know, with that, Brittany, I wonder to kind of turn over that coin and look at the other side. What can be good about somebody starting to work with a, a new therapist? Oh, there are a lot of positives about it. But a lot of times, too, it's that the client is is hesitant to do mm-hmm. that sure. for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. They're meeting somebody new. Stranger danger. Yeah. Starting over. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's not something I've really done in the past, but I'm open to trying going forward. You know, it makes me wonder then in terms of beliefs too, do you believe that other people can be as helpful to your clients as you can? Oh, totally. Okay. Okay. Completely. Even better. Okay. So that's also something to, I think, connect with, you know, when these kinds of scenarios come up of like, you don't take their insurance anymore. You're not going to be putting them on your sliding scale. And so it's going to be a discussion of this is my fee. Or I'm happy to help you find someone else is remembering there might be someone else who, yeah, has a totally different angle than you, gets into something that is just not territory that you're interested in or would have naturally taken them. The good things that can come from folks seeing multiple therapists over time. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. I could bring that up with with clients. Because a lot mm-hmm. of times clients are just like hesitant to change yeah, therapists. Of course. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, I've closed my practice a couple of times. I closed my practice when I went on my maternity leave. And then I like closed my practice more full stop when I came back and was seeing a handful of clients. And I remember one of my clients saying to me, like, you know, that her family member said like, well, maybe you'll find someone even better. And she was like, I don't know if I can. And I said, you might like, you're going to find someone different. 
right? And like, there's always going to be therapists out there who work differently than we work and like, yeah, open like a new chapter in that person's healing that again, is just not work we would have done with them. And so that is something that I certainly talk to my clients about with closing things down is, you know, there's going to be things that you and I have missed working on for years, because I have a blind spot, right? Or like, you haven't felt comfortable telling me or whatever, right? Or it's not a type of work that I do that someone else is going to be able to get into with you. So the the opportunities that come when somebody switches to a new therapist are also, I find helpful for having those conversations. Obviously not to dismiss the the grief and all of those things that also go of with course. closure. Yeah, but um, that makes sense though. It does. Like I think yeah, with endings come new beginnings. Mm-hmm. So coming back then to your work, like I'm I'm hearing a decision to not add more folks to your sliding scale. Your sliding scale is full. Mm-hmm. But also we started this conversation by talking about how you want to get to the point of getting to half your caseload being full seat. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that, what that road can look like for you. How do you actually want to start to make the changes to get to that place in your practice? See, that's where I get stuck because I have all these grand ideas, but actually like getting there mm-hmm. is a whole thing in itself. Ultimately right now, I mean, my caseload is closed. I anticipate probably reopening it in like a couple of months or so um, based on just like some recent closures and all that. I'm, I'm working on improving my marketing to get clients who aren't looking specifically for insurance-based mm-hmm. therapy. Yes. Um, I'm actually in a post-grad course now, um, trying to work towards a, a specialty. Okay. So I need to kind of up my marketing around that specialty. So I'm working on the uh, specialization in infertility, mm. infant loss, mm-hmm. perinatal mental health, maternal mm. mental health, paternal mental health, that whole realm of things. Yes, yes, yes. Specializing in infertility and loss. So I'm in a postgrad course for that now. And for that, I feel like that is worth a more like a more premium fee because mm-hmm. that is something that's a, sp- a specific specialization that I'm oh specifically studying. Yes, absolutely. I need to work on really improving my marketing to reflect mm-hmm. that specialization because I am not getting, <laughs> I've gotten like maybe a handful of people yes. who fall in that population. Yeah. They're not like finding you yet. Any. They can't find no, you No, they're not. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So attracting those folks in and owning, this is a specialization. And I will say as someone who has sought those services before, they're very hard to find and it's hard to find someone good. And so folks who are looking for you and who find you and you both do the work that they do and it feels like a personal fit are going to highly value what you do, right? It's such it's such a specialized niche. So I would say that's your kind of on the horizon is like, you're mm-hmm. going to have this specialty. You're going to be marketing towards those folks. What about, or I guess, what is the timeline on that, Brittany? So my course will be ending in May. Okay. And I mean, it's, it's more of an ongoing thing where it's something that I'm just continually educating myself about. Okay. Yes. But I feel like I'll have the confidence to say like, I studied this in a postgraduate course. Mm-hmm. You'll be ready. After May. Like, ta-da. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. After May, I'll be like magically like, I yeah, roll out the carpet. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And that's not very long from now. So that actually sounds like I was thinking you were talking something like kind of far off, but no, that's actually in the next, it's in a month and a bit. So with that in mind, then what I'd like you to think about is what is your goal to get to that half of your caseload being full fee and then reverse engineering, here's what the steps I'm going to take. Because what, I, what I'm what i feeling in you as we're talking is I am feeling this like, yeah, that's good. Kind of like I'm not, I'm not feeling action yet, right? I'm still kind of feeling a contemplation energy from you. Is that accurate? 
accurate yes totally well you're on the you're you're on point yes okay so I'm curious then like what do you think you need to get you connected keep you connected to the value of the work that you're doing that kind of like elation and also owning this new niche how do you actually take these things so they help you make the changes you want to make to get your practice to where you need it to be financially I think kind of that comes to mind is that I'm going to need to change my referral source completely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because all of my referral sources are insurance based or all of them are like the first question is like whatever like they're very intertwined with insurance yes. okay so that's kind of like if you see the kind of like contemplation on my face which like I could kind of feel <laughs> yeah. showing it's between it's us kind yes. of like well how on earth do I find how on earth do I find new clients then mm-hmm. but that's something that comes with more experience, more marketing, that that realm of thing. Yes. And that networking piece. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I really like humans, so I get really excited about networking because I'm like, oh, I'm going to meet new people. But it makes me think about, you know, who in your community is interfacing with those folks that you want to be serving that you can grab a tea with, take out for lunch, you know, like connect with to start to build those referral sources, right? Like other folks who are supporting women with infertility, naturopaths, mm-hmm. like fertility clinics themselves. I know like uh, I, I went through IVF with my son and, and since then. And so I know my clinic actually had a, a therapist that they, was associated with the clinic who didn't work for them, but who they mm-hmm. made referrals to. And she oh, wow. was not good. Oh, so it's like, it makes me well, think about all the folks who would have okay. like seen her like <laughs> I did for one session. I was like, well, that was an experience and never went back. If you could be associated with a fertility clinic as just you're like, hey, if you have folks who are like, you know, walking this road and having a hard time, send them to me. They, ha- they have literally hundreds of clients going through that process like every week. <laughs> You know, so it like it, my brain goes to like all these places, you know, that I've been and that women that I know who have, you know, walked this road have been that women would be so excited to get your name and know about your services. Yeah. And I even spoke with an acupuncturist recently who does infertility acupuncture and she doesn't take insurance. Mm-hmm. And yep. she's like, oh, I have tons of clients. I can send yes. your wife. So I think just those are the people to talk to. Rights. Yes. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, it is, you know, in a sense, Brittany, like what you're talking about is rebranding your practice. Right. And when I say that, I don't mean that you have to do like a fancy, beautiful, multi-thousand dollar website overhaul or anything like that. But like you are changing you're what you're doing, right? And you're going to have to change in that how you talk about what you're doing, who you're connecting with. And like, to me, it sounds like that work needs to be done because I also, but here's the thing. Mm-hmm. How do we make sure that when those women come to you, that you give, you offer them your full fee? Yeah, that's the tricky part. <laughs> you don't talk yourself down, right? How can you commit to making sure that your full fee is actually what those women hear about? And you don't take away the opportunity for them to pay you that. That's something I don't have an answer for. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try my best to stay strong on that Mm -hmm. and keep a picture of the overall goal. Mm -hmm. Yes. Part of this, Brittany, I think is like, this is a fake it till you make it piece, right? We need to give them the chance to show you that they value what you do. And so there's just a behavioral piece here where I wonder what would happen is when a new woman calls you and she says, hey, my acupuncturist told me about you. I'd really like to see you. You just say, yeah, I would love to work with you. My fee is 150 an hour. Stop talking. Can you imagine yourself being able to do that? Yeah, yeah, I can. 
Because when we stop talking, we give them a chance to actually respond. And most of the time, they're going to take half a breath and say, okay, that sounds good. When are you available? We let them be in charge of the conversation. Like we let, we give them empowerment in that way, right? Rather than us deciding what they can afford to pay. Right. Right. Well, what do you notice in your body thinking about just doing that when, when people start to call you, cause you're going to make some great connections Yeah. and just stating your fee and just ending the sentence there. It's totally against my nature because I just tend to try to fill up the silence, which is a, a clinical thing that I'm trying to work on anyway. But at the same time, like it makes sense mm-hmm. that it, that's a really solid idea, a really solid plan of action mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. just kind of shut myself up for a little bit yes. there. Just stop talking. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then with that too, you know, you can also keep your eye on your sliding scale list and you will know if you have a spot available or not. Like what I'm hearing with a lot of this yeah. is what what I get from you is like, you're very caring. You're really empathetic. You really like feel your client's hardships. Right. But sometimes with that, we can underestimate our clients' abilities to solve problems. Like there's there's almost like a little bit of like a codependency piece that can happen there where we like we want to prevent any kind of discomfort from them or any kind of friction. But like you are working with adults. And if you're moving into, you know, as can you continue to move in this, like work with infertility, like you're working with adults who've like solved a lot of problems yeah. <laughs> and are navigating a lot of systems. And like, yeah. you know, I, I think there's a lot that comes from just believing that our clients are competent. Yeah, you're right. So with this, then, you know, we, we've kind of, we've walked a, a couple paths in this conversation yeah. today. What is your action plan? What's happening next after our conversation? So I think next steps are to work on my networking more, decide which local institutions, professionals, whatnot, I would like to get in contact with. Mm -hmm. And, And that also includes like working on marketing, boring marketing stuff, like making my making business cards that are physical. Um, and go straight to my with a QR code that goes to my website mm-hmm. um, and kind of I don't know I'm I'm sorry you're like hitting right on my issue because mm-hmm. like I'm good at seeing the big picture where I want to be I I struggle so much between like getting there yes so. yes yeah and these are great steps so you're going to create a new referral network and what I would suggest Brittany is if this is an area where you're just like God like you know, you're kind of like holding your head a little bit right now. It's break it down then into those walkable steps, right? So like, what is the first step? Maybe the first step is generate a list of like 10 people that, you know, work with folks that you want to be supporting more and reach out to five of them to start. And then you reach out to five the following week, making an ask of, can I connect with you? I'd be happy to connect over coffee or tea or lunch. I'd be happy to come to your space. You know, like think about, you know, with the folks that you're connecting with, what's going to be an easy, natural way for them to want to connect, letting them know the value of I serve, you know, families who are going through these things. I'm perinatal mental health. I'm doing continued specialization and I'm opening more and more space to serve these folks in my practice. And I would love to support the folks that you support with the emotional side of, of the path that they're walking right you you're you're letting them know the value right if their clients yeah. are getting emotional support and aren't crying in their office and are able mm-hmm. to like think clearly and make good decisions and show up for their appointments and all that stuff every, everybody's better off for it right so it's yeah. part of it is thinking about that so i'm hearing that and then you were mentioning a second step of like 
making business cards so it's easy for folks to access you. I would say that that's something that's like helpful, but not essential in today's day and age. I think it's more helpful that you make a good relationship with someone who's going to be like, I know the perfect person for you. It's Brittany. I'm going to give you her name. Here's her website. And those people are just going to hop on over their phone or like save a note in their phone and, and go online when they get home. And so I think in terms of like the most important tasks, it's making those referral relationships. Right. No, that's a good point. And yeah, no, that's that's absolutely doable. Yeah. And then after that, when people call to book, what are you going to do? Well, I actually have a virtual assistant I started working with. So I'll, I'll let her know as well, which life changer. Yes. But aside from that, I'm going to tell them during the consultation calls or whatever, like my fee is 150. Mm-hmm. I'll leave it at that. Great. Good. And how does that feel to say that? Immediately, I start having uh, questions come up of like, what if? What if they do have an insurance that I actually do take? What if they are all these things? Yeah. And you also take insurance. So, you know, it, it could be a phrase of, I take the following insurances or my out-of-pocket fee is 150. End of sentence, right? And And let that sit. Like, I think part of what it sounds like the work that you have to do is letting people show you that they're actually happy to pay your fee. And if they're not happy to pay your fee at 150 and they're not on the insurances that you take, then you know it's not a right fit. Right. And they'll find someone else who is a right fit. Right. Right. So with this, Brittany, I can feel there's more digging into to do, but we do have like this action steps for you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What are you taking away from our conversation today? A lot of confidence, actually. Mm. I was so nervous going into this. As you know, like the first thing when you were like, how are you? I was like, I'm so nervous. I'm actually feeling really confident now. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm grateful for this coaching call. Like maybe my sessions are worth that price. And maybe people will pay that for mm-hmm. me. And maybe maybe we will own a house one day. Like I don't know. It's it gives me like kind of hopeful, hopeful yeah. energy. Yeah. Yeah. And if there's a part of you that's able to like collect evidence. I'm going to ask that part of you to like collect those moments when you're just like in the flow in session and you're just like, whoa, I'm in the right place doing the right work. Like collect that evidence and like let the words sink in when you do have clients say things like, of course, this your fee is worth it. Uh, I think there's a lot more evidence there than you've probably taken into your body, but as much as possible, trying to actually absorb that because yeah. I, I think it's pl- there's plentiful ad- evidence that people are very happy to pay you. 150. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Brittany, for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. In my conversation with Brittany today, a familiar piece, you know, that I've seen in myself and so many therapists is how in a certain sense, we can underestimate our clients, right? That like jumping to quickly, you know, saying our fee and then jumping to quickly offer the sliding scale. I know that's something that lots of therapists do. Uh, We can really sometimes in seeing their struggles and in knowing what's hard and sitting in that with them or knowing that we're about to or knowing a bit of their story when we're having those first conversations of setting the fee, it's easy to underestimate that someone who struggles and is going through maybe a hard journey or has had losses or trauma also is someone who can solve their own problems and show up and make good decisions for their life and decide how to spend their money. 
those things can coexist. And I think as therapists, because we sit so much with the vulnerability of our clients, it's easy to forget that they also have jobs that they might be really good at and they can earn money or they have family who can help. Like they can solve problems. And when we jump in and try to solve problems for them, especially around fee, before they even name that it's a problem or even express that they can't solve the problem, not only are we undercutting ourselves because this is somebody that might happily pay you your full fee um, and now instead you've negotiated a lower fee with them, but also we're not letting them function as adults and and let us know what is possible for them and let them make an empowered decision or have a you know grounded conversation with us about their needs to see if we can find some sort of center point. So it's you know it's a, a challenge I think I ha- we have as therapists because of the role that we play, but I always find it helpful to think about the resilience of our clients, think about the stories that they tell us of things that are going well. <laughs> And remember that we only see such a small slice of their life and we see generally the hardest emotions and we hear the hardest stories and we don't see all those other parts of them that sometimes are like kicking butt at life or figuring things out, you know, with great competency at the same time as they also have something that they're they're working through with us. You can follow me on Instagram at money nuts and bolts. And if you're enjoying the podcast, I say it all the time. I know, but I want you to hear it. If you're enjoying the podcast, I would super appreciate if you could jump over to Apple Podcasts for, I think it would take you literally 90 seconds um, and leave a review for the podcast. It is the best way for other therapists to find us and be part of these conversations. Thanks for listening today.